I really want to encourage you tonight to, to listen uh, really keenly. And certainly as I have worked on this material over this week, I've struggled with it. It's not simple, it's not easy. I've tried to ask myself uh, really honest uh, questions. Uh, and I've tried to draw on as much uh, pastoral experience as I can to apply these Bible passages. I want to uh, just turn again to the Ezekiel passage, if you've got a Bible, chapter 36, verse 25 to 27. It's an extraordinary promise in this prophecy written long, long before the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost and in turn into our lives as believers. An extraordinary promise. And I want you to hear this promise as I read it again and as you follow with me and look at it, look at the text of Scripture and believe every single word of this promise is true. It's absolutely true. God says in his word, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And that's not talking about sinless perfection on earth. It's talking about the forgiveness of our sins. But then verse 26 I will give you a new heart, a heart transplant, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now that's an extraordinary promise. And right at the start, I want us really to hold on to that promise and believe it is absolutely true and should be worked out and can be worked out in our lives. Now put that promise to one side and then think, as I have done all through this week, of your life. With all the struggles you have, with the flesh that still is there. There's a powerful promise, and as we've worked through this series on the person of the Holy Spirit and got to know the person of the Holy Spirit, and tonight we come to the point in our thinking about the Holy Spirit that lives in us. There is only one Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit is extraordinarily powerful. We've seen him at creation and in the old covenant and in the life of Christ and in the regeneration of a human being estranged from God. That Holy Spirit is mighty powerful. It is the Spirit of God. It is a person of the Godhead. Take the Spirit and his power and the promise. And my question is, why is it so hard to change? 
Why is our change into the likeness of Christ so slow and so fitful? How come it's, and it feels like often, three steps forward, two steps backward, when that promise is there? And when the person of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was with Christ all through his ministry, lives in me? Now, that's a good question to wrestle with, and we'll do so tonight. So, listen up, and let's pray that God will speak answers into our minds and hearts. Our Father, we thank you for these great promises, and we pray that tonight, in the time that we have, that we will hold on to the factual truth of them and wrestle in our minds and hearts as to why transformation with the indwelling Spirit is often so slow and so fitful and so hard. Will you help us to understand? And if there are scales that the devil wants to put over our eyes that we do not understand and thus appropriate the means of grace that you have given us, will you take off these scales And will we, at the end of our time, be able, as we have sung, to really say and understand that the greatest thing is to be holy and like Jesus? And we pray in His name and for His sake. Amen. Now, I've given you a monster set of notes tonight. And don't despair. Um, it just sets things out in hopefully a, a coherent way for you. Now, right back at the beginning of the series, we were in John 14, and these uh, verses, John 14, verses 16 to 17, uh, Jesus is leaving to go to his cross and resurrection and his Father. And he says this to the apostles, his companions, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And tonight we get to the he will be in you bit. But we've been spending a number of weeks before we get to the he will be in you on the you know him, and he dwells with you. That's the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ before we consider who it is who is in us, let's get to know his biography. And we have worked through the biography of the Holy Spirit. You know him, the eternal person, the person of the Holy Spirit at creation, speaking, ordering, filling, the person of the Holy Spirit in the old covenant, manifesting the presence of God, speaking the word of God, anointing the prophet, priests, and kings of God, and promising to come in a remarkable way in the church and into our hearts, as we heard in Ezekiel. You know him, for he dwells with you. Jesus is referring specifically in these words in John 14 to the Holy Spirit that the disciples has observed as the intimate companion of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know him, for he dwells with you. The person of the Holy Spirit in Jesus in his incarnation, his anointing, 
his ministry, his teaching, his miracles, his temptations, his resurrection, his ascension, and his exaltation. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, you know the Spirit, for you have seen him with me. And it flows on into the end of the Lord Jesus' marvelous statement, that Holy Spirit that you know and have seen is in you, and that is a mighty, powerful Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be in you. Now, the last time before Easter, we looked at what happens when someone is converted or becomes a Christian. And I've written down there in the middle of that page, a Christian is someone who is born again or regenerated. Regeneration, born again. And it's exactly what it says on the tin. It is to be born again. It is a new person. It is an entirely new birth. Someone who is born again, how can you be born again? That is possible through the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. The person of the Holy Spirit comes into your life, into your body, takes control of the center of your soul, your inner being, if you like, and you're born again. And we trace that through John's gospel. John describes it as a, a stream, like a, a, the source of a mighty river, bubbling up, bubbling up, bubbling up, flowing out into your life. What a wonderful, wonderful image. Now take that wonderful image and contrast it with, why is it so hard to make progress? The Holy Spirit at conversion. A Christian is someone who is born again through the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling them, or the Holy Spirit in us. Now, many of us in this room are Christians. You are sitting here, and the person of the Holy Spirit, and there is only one Holy Spirit, he's not divided up. You have the Holy Spirit in you, the same Holy Spirit that dwelt with Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters at creation, bringing order out of chaos and fullness out of emptiness. That Holy Spirit lives in you. If you go down to room seven after the service, you'll see that Youth Church built a temple this morning. That's what Freddie was talking about in his prayer. They were looking at the difference it makes to have the Holy Spirit in you. You are the temple. Do you want to see what the temple looked like? It's in room seven. You're sitting here, and the person of the Holy Spirit has made his home in your body. That's a marvelous thing. And what is he doing in you? Well, he is uniting you with Christ. The most common way to describe a Christian in the New Testament is in Christ Jesus, union with Christ. The Holy Spirit in you unites you with Christ. And that means as you sit here, all of the saving achievements of Christ through his death and his resurrection that there is no condemnation, no penalty any longer for your sin, for you are fully forgiven. That has been imparted to you and into you. It is 
It is a seal guaranteeing your salvation. And then the Holy Spirit indwelling you changes us. That's what we're looking at tonight. And next time, God willing, uh, we'll look at how the Holy Spirit assures us. And interestingly, as we think tonight of the, the, the struggle for holiness, the struggle for holiness against the fact of this mighty power within us, you need to know the absolute assurance that you are in Christ. And then from assurance, Paul in Romans 8, will be in Romans 8 next week, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. These wonderful verses that talk about the groaning, the groaning of the Spirit, and He gifts us and He empowers our speaking. But tonight we are looking at the person of the Holy Spirit in us, changing us to be more like uh, Jesus. There is no Christian who has ever lived who is not being changed into the likeness of Jesus. If you are not being changed into the likeness of Jesus, you are not a Christian. You are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You cannot but be being transformed if the person of the Holy Spirit lives in you. Let me flip the coin. Uh, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus for your salvation, and even if your life is struggling as a Christian, if you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells you, and He is changing you. One of, the, 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 one of the, the dangers when we think about the Holy Spirit changing us is we feel more and more sinful, and that is because the Holy Spirit has awakened our conscience. Somebody described it like this, when you become a Christian, it's like having surgery. Well, open-heart surgery. And when you wake up from open-heart surgery, you have no pain because you've got so much analgesia in you and the, the, the effects of the anesthetic. And you're well. You have a new heart. But after about half an hour or two hours or three hours, the anesthetic begins to wear off and the pain really kicks in and it takes weeks and months and months and months of pain to recover. But you have a new heart. And when your heart is made new and the Holy Spirit comes into your life and the work of God and the person of the Holy Spirit begins to clean up that life and change that life and make it like Christ's life, it hurts. It hurts. And it will hurt all the way to heaven. Now, why does the Holy Spirit change us to be like Jesus? Well, firstly, to reveal who we are. The Holy Spirit changes us to be like Jesus because the Holy Spirit indwelling us is fundamentally who we are. The Holy Spirit makes us like Jesus to reveal who we are to ourselves. The Holy Spirit wants to bear fruit in our life that we might know that the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit, we'll see this next week, wants to give us 
some vocabulary. Father, that we might know that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And to reveal not only who we are to ourselves, but to a watching world, a Christian community, a local church family full of people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, a community filled with the Holy Spirit is a mighty, powerful apologetic to the gospel in the world and will be increasingly so. And to make us useful, it's a very powerful text in the pastoral epistles, especially to Timothy. Uh, we are to be like clean vessels, pure vessels, not for the sake of being a cleaner, a pure vessel. And, and, and Paul writes to Timothy, so that you will be useful to the master, ready to do any good work. Holiness renders us uh, useful and brings us joy. It is profoundly true that the gratifying of the flesh, our sinful nature, never in the end leads to joy. Temporal joy or satisfaction or pleasure. But there is with the spirits within us profound joy, affections for Jesus and his purposes that way surpass any desires of the flesh. And of course, to glorify God. Now, the Holy Spirit in us, changing us to be like Jesus. Turn to Galatians 5, a key New Testament passage. I guess there would be two uh, key New Testament passages. One would be Galatians 5, the other would be Romans 8. Um, I was persuaded by the staff team this week to flip to, Roman, to Galatians 5. It was a good decision, I hope. Romans 8 next week. So Galatians 5, 16 to 6, 1, as Candace read, is a really important New Testament passage. Now, verses 17, 19 to 21, and 20 to 20, 22 to 23. I think describe very, very powerfully what it's like to be a Christian. Let's read these verses. Firstly, uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 17. Now, isn't this a brilliant description of what life feels like tonight? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Paul makes exactly the same point in Romans chapter 7. Let me read verse 17 again of Galatians 5. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. They are in conflict, at war with each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want uh, to do, so that you want to walk in the Spirit, and the desires of the flesh are so strong that they stop you walking in the Spirit. Now, verses 19 to 21, the works of the flesh are evident. Now, let me read the list 
And let me invite you, as I do, to examine your own heart and your own life, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then verses 22 to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit. Let me encourage you equally to examine your life. And if you doubt these things are there, I can, I can bear testimony to them in your life. All over this church family, there is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now that is verses 17, 19 to 21 and 22 to 23, a brilliant description of what it feels like to be a Christian. And I've laid this out on the sheet for you. There is on the right-hand side of the diagram who we were before we were converted. That is the flesh. The flesh is my sinful nature, my sinful uh, body, the body that I was born into, the body that I inherited from sinful humanity, the body that without Christ could not enter the kingdom of God. Flesh cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. There will be no sinful flesh in heaven. The flesh, the desires of the flesh, and the works of the flesh, and that big long list. And when, when I was converted, when you were converted, when the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, and indwelt you, causing you to have faith, and regenerated you, caused you to be born again, there came into your mind and into your heart desires of the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit issue in the fruit of the Spirit. And you'll see there the list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so on and so forth. And that list is the character of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Spirit in you is fashioning Christ-likeness in you. Let me just point out something important. There are many people who are not Christians who exhibit some of these things on the left-hand side in their lives. Of course there are. But that cannot save them. It is only the Holy Spirit born love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control that can save sinful flesh. Now, is that not how it is in our lives? I warrant that you do not get through a day and you do not get through a week without that battle going on between the spirits in you and in me and the flesh that remains in me, 
the desires of the Spirit and the desires of the flesh, the desires of the Spirit that we talk about on a Sunday and the desires of the flesh that we are ashamed of that lurk in our bodies, in our minds, in our eyes, in our hands, in our feet, and the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and the private works of the flesh. That long list. That long list that you know is real if you've got a remote control in your hand. That long list you know is real if you've got a computer and no one is watching. That long list you know is real in relation to your family dynamics and your work dynamics and the jealousies and the rivalries and the divisions. And yet, there wells up in us, not least on the Lord's Day on a Sunday, as we come under the authority of God's Word, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Some days, some weeks, some months, we, we, we really struggle and we, we find ourselves giving in to the desires of the flesh. Now, my key question now is why is change so slow? Why is change so slow? Why is it so hard given that wonderful promise in Ezekiel and given the power of the Holy Spirit? And I've just thrown down some, uh, not thrown them down, thought about them and prayed about them and just given to them for you for your reflection. And really they merit discussion speaking afterwards and prayer together. Why is change so slow? Because of the power of the flesh. The power of the world, the flesh, and the devil is a pretty powerful trio. The power of the flesh. The power of the flesh to sin is strong. Secondly, why is change often so slow? I wonder if it is because we do not consciously think or perhaps even know or are crystal clear on who we are as Christians. As you sit here tonight and as I stand here, are we absolutely clear on who we are? I've given you some verses in the passage. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You are led by the Spirit if you are a Christian. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus. You belong to Christ Jesus if you are a Christian. And if you belong to Christ Jesus, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. That table on the right-hand side, they're crucified. They're dying. They're on the way out. They were nailed to a cross. My sin, not in part, but the whole, and there it remains, praise the Lord, Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. How do you treat crucified sin ruthlessly without indulgence or flattery? Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The Christian is somebody who is led by the Spirit, who belongs to Christ Jesus, 
who has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and a Christian is someone who lives by the Holy Spirit. That means you are indwelt by the Spirit of the risen Christ. The Spirit is who you fundamentally are. Your soul, your will is in the hands of God by His Holy Spirit, and your flesh has been nailed to the cross. And when you start to see that and understand that, it changes our minds and the way we approach growing as Christians. And you see over the page, I put that out in a diagram, hopefully to help you understand that. The left-hand side is fundamentally who you are as Christians. So you sit here and you're struggling with all that stuff on the right-hand side as I am. But the Lord wants you to know tonight as you sit here that fundamentally who you are as Christians are men and women in whom the Holy Spirit dwells and that are desires in you that are more powerful, that are affections in you that are marvelous and Christ-like, that are bubbling up like streams of living water or will do, that issues in the fruit of the Spirit and all the stuff of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the works of the flesh, all of that stuff that is dirty and sordid, divisions, dissensions, envy, lust, all that stuff is crucified. You will not have any of that in eternity. You owe nothing to it. Oh, but it's so easy to say that and hard to kill it. Why is it so hard? Because we underestimate, number three, the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Now that hymn that we're going to sing, I think, tonight again, Jesus, I my cross have taken all to leave and follow thee. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Now we know now what spirit dwells within thee. The spirit of God that was present at creation, that was present in the old covenant, that was the intimate companion of Christ in his incarnation, his teaching, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, his ascension and glorification. The spirit that came at Pentecost and that marvelous miracle of mission. The spirit that animated and empowered the apostles preaching. That's the spirit that is in you. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think about it. Think of that power in you. And I wonder, and I hope this is right to say, are we weary, number four, of asking God to fill us with the Holy Spirit? Now, I think it's absolutely appropriate to pray every day that God will fill us with the Holy Spirit. That has nothing to do with asking for the person of the Holy Spirit to come into me. You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit unless the person of the Holy Spirit is in your life and in your heart. But constantly praying, please God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me that Holy Spirit. Let it have issue in my life in all sorts of different places. When did you last ask on your knees in prayer, Lord Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Thomas Chalmers, from whom we take the name of this church, preached a very famous sermon called The Expulsive Power of the New Affections. His thesis was that we can ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit 
Such is our awareness and our consciousness of Christ and the things of Christ that our affections for these good things are more powerful than our desires to gratify these other things. And so the expulsive power of the new affection dominates my life. Number five, because we do not turn to the means of grace to change. What are the means of grace to change? We're going to come right back down to earth now. Um, reading the Bible in the morning, praying in the morning. I think it's great to do it in the morning. That might sound legalistic, but you set yourself up for the day ahead with understanding. Yeah, coming to church on a Sunday, gathering with other Christians, the conversations that go on afterwards, out in the street over coffee, all of that is a means of grace because at the very heart of our time together tonight and this morning, the Word of God is proclaimed and God speaks and that is the sword of the Spirit. That is how we change and in prayer. Avail yourselves of the means of grace. Why is it so slow? Because change is painful. And then these last three. And very carefully and gently and lovingly. I want you to take these to heart. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is often slow because we won't walk by the Spirit in some areas. We just won't turn from that to that. And you see, in Numbers 7, 8, and 9 here, we're in the realm of what we do. When the Word of God really convicts you, and by the time you're at the foot of the steps and halfway home, we've decided that we will not walk in the Spirit in that bit of our lives. Or number eight, we will not walk by the Spirit in a more fundamental sense. When we become Christians, we repent of idolatry, which is self on the throne, and we put Christ on the throne. But in the Christian life, we very often do not yield to the Holy Spirit in our lives as the agency of change and control. And then number nine that I would see often in pastoral ministry, because we're so destroyed, exhausted, burdened, that we feel we just cannot walk by the Spirit any longer. So practically, as we finish, what does it mean to obey the command, walk by the Spirit? Here's what I'm going to start doing tomorrow morning. You can ask me if it lasts. I've told you I'm going to do it, so... I'm going to promise you I'm going to do it. There you go. And sometimes my promises are like pie crust, flaky. 
Well, they are, and I regret that when you make important ones. You know, promising more than you can do. I need to do this. And I promise to do it. I don't promise to be changed. That's not my job. Every day, acknowledging before God that the person of the Holy Spirit indwells me, remind myself of it. Every day, acknowledging before God with a decisive conviction who I once was and am no longer and who I now am and will be forever. That bit of me is crucified. Every day, acknowledge before God how powerful is the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells me. The Spirit of creation in Christ. Every day, praying to the Father, repenting of sin, and asking him to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Asking him to give me such desires for the things of Christ that my affection for these things will be so strong that it will have an expulsive effect on the desires of the flesh. Every day, Meditate on the Word of God, that Psalm 1 that Laura read, because it is through the Word of God that the Holy Spirit changes you. Meditate on the Word of God day and night, and that person is like a tree planted in streams of living water. That's the Holy Spirit welling up with. Gather regularly, gather regularly and expectantly with your fellow believers in the local church you belong to, listening to God speak through His Word, encouraging one another, speaking the truth in love, singing praying and sharing communion. That is how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Every day, walk by the Spirit. Now, at the end of the day, I'm so careful tonight not to speak about works, works, works. It's the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the Spirit. But in the end of the day, you've got to walk that way or that way. When it's this issue in your life or that, you've got to walk that way and that way. Oh, but surely God is sovereign in all things. So I'm going to sit on the sofa, as it were, in my life. That is a decision. That is an action. Get up and walk. And walk that way and not that way. Walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. You cannot do it without numbers one, two, three, four, five, six in place. You'll run out of steam. But when you begin your day on your knees, conscious of these things, and open the Word of God and pray, asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and meditate on the Word of God, and look forward to your small group because it's a Tuesday night, and then you get up and you walk in the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And at the end of the day, Give thanks to God for the fruit of the Spirit in your life and for not gratifying the desires of the flesh and give the glory to the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. And remember in it all God's purpose in changing us. What a powerful, 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 powerful thing is a congregation of ordinary people 
thoroughly rendered fruitful by the indwelling Holy Spirit. What a powerful, powerful thing that is. And it will lead us, and it is leading us in many ways, to a deep, deep abiding joy. Now think on these things. There's a lot there. Think on these things. Talk afterwards about them. And let's be quiet for a moment, then we'll sing two marvelous songs to close. Lord Jesus, in this moment of quiet before we sing, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to sing and to allow the Word of God to dwell in us richly as the Holy Spirit takes that Word and applies it through these songs into our hearts and lives. Help us, Lord, to sing conscious of those around us that they, even though they do not like they do, even though they do not look like they do, they have the same battles as us. And help us to sing as part of a company of people, encouraging each other to walk in the Spirit. Thank you that you never ask us to do anything that you do not also give us the capacity to do. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that mighty, mighty, powerful person of the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, we ask, and change us. Fill us with the Holy Spirit now as we sing these songs and hymns together. For Jesus' sake. Amen.